Okay, we're... Is this the intro or the outro music? It's the outro, but we love it anyway. Working in with the outro. Let's go. All right. Uh, welcome back <laughs> to, to uh, Unreally Software. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. It's great to be back. Yes, I'm James, and uh, who are you? I'm Frank. Hey, Frank. <laughs> we don't normally say this at the intro, but people don't know who we are. So. Well, we're famous now, right? We've been doing a lot of media presence yeah people should know me just by my voice yes i'm pretty sure you do have a distinct voice i don't think anyone would mistaken you in the coding community i'm sure when people hear it they'll be like oh that's james yeah for sure very famous at least two people listen to my podcast now so that's right yeah and it's gonna get bigger because we were on startup daily today startup daily what's that what? It's that TV show we done. Can you? The app. Remember? I oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. You think people are going <laughs> to go from that to the podcast? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just telling the listeners. That's a product in thing. In the life of the startup, right? Yeah. We got reached out to. Someone heard about the app. Want to learn more. Startup Daily is the name of the show. Startup so, Daily. So within like two hours. Uh reached out and had an interview reached out had an interview and then i don't know if the quality of it was that good i don't know if though if i lived up to the expectation of what they wanted but anyway it's done right that's like the interview i did like last week like the recruiter <laughs> called me at like nine and then he was like can you interview at 10 i interviewed at 10 for like an hour and then they were like can we send you an offer tonight <laughs> things move faster than the tech industry it's right? very strange we're like way <laughs> too fast yeah. <laughs> How is the how is the uh, job hunting going? Oh, the 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 race is narrowing down. The yeah. money is being flung now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the numbers are going up. Uh, so it looks like uh, there might be a final contender. I won't say who yet, uh, in no. case uh, something bad happens. I feel I also don't want to jinx it. So well, the listeners will have to check in for the next episodes to find out. Yes. Do you buy into any of those? Uh, you know, those books like how to crack the coding interview and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. If you're interviewing at like AWS or Google, I, um, I sort of started the year thinking I want to like go to a bigger company and I'm going to do those big interviews. Yeah. I had a little taste of those interviews. Uh, someone gave me an IQ test as like part of the job. And I was like, this is fucking bullshit (laughs) and canceled the, canceled the whole thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't, uh, calculate in my like frustration with stupid hiring practices. So, uh, yeah, I do sort of buy into it for, I, I know, I do know people who like do those long practice, like interviews and they do them all the time. Like one of my friends who um, who got me to start looking in the way that I did and even put me onto some of the companies I'm interviewing now, he like interviews no matter if he's working somewhere. He's like in the middle of like an H stage, eight to 10 stage interview process at all times. So yeah, some people love it. I just find it so stressful. And when I do it, I'm like exhausted for the rest of the day. Just write, just let him write a bit of Postgres, am I right? Yeah. Yeah, just ask him how to join two tables and structure grouping and naming just let me make an erd and then uh, that'll be all you need like what why would you need anything else from me (laughs) (laughs) 
Do I understand Every problem that? problem can be solved with Postgres. Genuinely, the the interviews that people have done for me and I think they've actually learned about my skills, like the level that I'm on, are the ones where they've just asked me about like my like to write an ERD or to like demonstrate what an ERD would be for a product or something. Like yeah. I think that shows a very like high level of uh, thinking in a lot of ways. Well, it's practical knowledge too, right? Yeah. Well, you have to be able to like there's so many levels of abstraction you have to go to, from to get like, oh, this is like the, the domain and the business and these are the entities and then this is the like way that we're going to be interacting with them and saving them and then we're going to get to the persistence layer and store this stuff in a structured way. Like I feel like that's, you know, that shows a lot of uh, thought. Whereas, you know, someone in one of the interviews asked me to like implement like a multi-select for tags in React, <laughs> which was essentially installing a library. And I feel like they got no yeah. taste of anything that I could do. So mm. yeah, it's very, it, while it varies wildly. And you know, some of these places like, you know, I'll, I'll go to one place and they'll be like, Oh, you'd be great fit for our tech lead. And then I'll go to another and they're like, not sure if you will fit into our senior bracket <laughs> <laughs> because like the tech challenge they gave me was like add a button to a, to a form. And, yeah. and that was all they got to see. So, yeah. I suppose that's, that kind of shows you the different flavors of teams that are out there, doesn't it? Like everyone, every team operates different in every company as well. Yeah. So every, some teams want you to put buttons on web pages and, <laughs> and that's the end of the job. Apparently. So, I mean, that's the, that's the dream job, right? Getting those buttons on the pages and the colors. If I spoke to myself hey. 10 years ago, I definitely like, if someone told me, if you, learn how to put buttons on pages, you're going to make like 180K a year. I would have been all over it. Yeah. There, is, there is a certain amount of satisfaction I find when I'm adding the, the UI elements and it looks really nice and the colors are nice. I mean, like last year when I was doing a bit of front-end stuff, I got really into typography and uh, font hierarchies yeah. and you know that uh, stuff actually isn't bad i don't mind that like the design part the design part of it yeah i didn't mind i I actually really like the design because i feel like the the design element is definitely like a a trade um in respect that you know there's ways that things are done and there's reasons why things are done and you learn these rules and then you learn how to break the rules yeah unlike software we just say like i don't know fuck it uh, will it pass code review Well, then, the, well, the thing about you added in when you start doing it in React, it's like you said, it's like add a library for this, you add a library for that. You like a, a library connector, right? That's that. So the the purely Node.js places essentially said, uh, like they they were all like, oh, use any libraries you want, install as many as you want, and so that was actually no one said anything when I yeah. installed packages. Which to me, if I saw someone installing a package for a tech challenge, I'd be like, that's sin. You can't do that. Like you're not showing me any talent. Yeah. All you know how to do is search npm. So yeah, it's very weird. Well, the other thing that I've been very mindful about too, especially now that um, like this current state that the project's in, very mindful of what dependencies are on the project, right? Because you had a dependency, you've got to maintain it. The customers forever don't care. Yeah, the customers don't care that, um, you know, Faker.js or whatever the case may be isn't working today. They just care that your app's not working. They don't know why. So the dependency at the end of the day, is your responsibility. Yeah, you own it end to end. I actually, um, you know, I don't mind the uh, concept of like uh, what Yarn's been doing where you're 
I feel like it makes you own your dependencies more. You know how Yarn 2, the mono repo, uh, it bundles the libraries into the GitHub repository? Yep. I've had so many arguments about this, and a lot of purists like hate that with a passion. Mm-hmm. I really don't think that's a bad idea. I think it's good to like have the source code like pulled in a stable version uh, on the machine at all times. I don't think that's necessarily bad. Like stored alongside the code, and you actually own that dependency, and it makes it feel like you own it because you have it in a a source controlled file when you update it or add a package and you see you've added 1700 like zip files to that yarn tree you feel very shamed like <laughs> so it, it feels good to me well what's the argument against it why don't people like it uh well uh, you know the people i think a lot of it is uh you, you can't store those like if you can fetch it from a different source like you keep that as the source of truth that sort of thing uh, and then also, like, Git isn't great for storing big uh, big objects, you know. So, like, your first pull is going to be big. Uh, and, you know, Git isn't super fast on, like, large file storage. So, yeah. yeah. But um, I don't know if it's the way you set up our repo, but Yarn works really fast for me now. Is it because of the caching with the... Are we using Yarn 2 in our repo? Or yeah, Yarn 2, which is Yarn Berry, I think they call it. Berry, um, yeah. Yeah, and so... By caching, you know, so there was node modules before, right? Essentially yeah. with, with the old system and most of the, the, it was a series of sim links and just plain file, like plain folders with the files just strewn about essentially. Um, there's, there's heaps of issues with that in that like a lot of uh, libraries, for example, like read using like the file system node.js thing, like read stuff from node modules, which is like, mm your dependency should not be modifying its own source code. It feels mm. kind of terrifying. I'm not really a fan or like caching stuff in that directory, that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, so we moved from the node modules, um, which is like everywhere to now for all like eight or so projects. So there's like the API client, the API, the front end. Uh, it's all vendored into one directory and all of the dependencies are zipped. And the recommendation, you don't have to do it, but the way that I've set it up is all of the dependencies are stored there in the version. So if you update a, a dependency, you'll see all the zip files change and you can actually go through the zip file and, and compare like what the actual code changes because um, yeah. that's actually versioned. Like the whole thing is versioned, which it wasn't before. And to set that up, I, uh, I'm not exactly sure on how you set it up, but I did notice there's like a another file in the root of the repo now. Like It's like an RC file or a dot pnp file or something like that oh, i believe that's yeah. the is that the config is that what is that what creates oh dot pnp.js this is a generated yeah. file so I, it, this is uh fifty two thousand lines long uh, so no i didn't write that <laughs> no 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 but is yeah. that what is that what the like in, in the process of setting up because you, you set up workspaces right that's the first yeah. thing and then because I, I was still using yarn v1.2 or something but because you set it up as a yarn 2 workspace does yarn 1.2 still work or yarn 1.2 oh, okay yeah 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 so um so first i'll, I'll explain the .pnp.cgs i believe is like a runtime dependency for um running anything because it actually uh yarn 2 actually overrides the way like the require 
you know, the require function and Node.js works so that yep. it actually will read this and try and load the zip files instead of like looking for an actual file location. So it'll, it'll, so this pnp.cjs is like a literal like JavaScript map from like the name of a dependency to like a zip file that, that resolves it for a specific workspace. Um, and what was the second part was, does it still work with Yarn 1.2? No, but uh, it's interesting the way that they set it up. Uh, Yarn, you don't install two different versions of Yarn. The Yarn sort of executable, I guess you could say, is also in the repository. So when you see change directory into um, the, the, the app, uh, Yarn automatically uses Yarn 2 when you're in there. So there is no oh, yarn okay. one if you're in that directory. So there's like a, an environment oh. variable or something or it reads a file and it says, ah, oh, this is a, a yarn. So not only do you never have to ask someone, please tell me what your version of yarn is yeah. because it's there. Like whatever version it is, you it increases your certainty about what's going to be deployed to production. I can deploy to production from my computer and know for certainty that if I'd run it through GitHub, I would be deploying the exact same thing because both the like bundler version, uh, the node version and the uh, like packages are all identical. So, Gotcha. Yeah. That's what was throwing me off. Cause I was, I, I could see all that yarn two functionality built in and then I was running like yarn dash dash version or whatever. Yeah. I kept saying 1.2 and I'm like, but how? Yeah, yeah. How is this working? Yeah, okay, it's, cool. it's a very interesting service. Uh, the uh, what's it called? PNP is that right? P- plugin. It, it's been so long since Plug I've thought plug, about yeah. Yarn, but yeah. So the the actual system um, that is the most interesting about Yarn two is the plug and play node module resolution system. Mm. Yeah. So it it definitely speeds up both mono repos and uh, and. Um, just normal applications. There's less, uh, I don't know if, uh, I'm sure I've, we've probably had a whole episode about this before, but uh, like if you look at the the way that um, the require function resolves in vanilla like um, node, it like yeah. first reads like node modules, then it like recurses. It goes through a whole bunch of like file system calls. There's like, you could get up to like 13 file system calls per require essentially um, using the initial system. Whereas now it's like when you call require, it looks directly is there a key in this hash okay i'll return this file to you that's about it mm. yeah it's yeah. a good system no because i started um over the break i was just like playing with a few toy repos and then obviously because they were new repos you have to create it from scratch and then because it was so long since i created a repo the time before that i'm like how do you even do this again so i like, had to go read the yarn docs and I was like, oh, it's changed. And then I like learned about all these new features. Yeah. And then I was I was reading. Well, then my next like rabbit hole I went down was like the um, the new build tools that are available, like yep. um, Vite and uh, Vite. The other one's ES- Isn't that like ES- a, a way to remove your hair, like your leg hair? Is it <laughs> okay? Vite is the number one, the world's number one depilatory product. <laughs> Depilatory, I believe, one, meaning hair removal. the one I'm referencing. <laughs> context, in the coding context, maybe. Not like Vite yarn. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> so you've been putting your depil- depilatory cream on your laptop. What's, how, how's that been going, Frank? <laughs> I finally got my legs to the right uh, texture that I wanted them at. But anyway. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was looking at the new build tools available. I didn't actually... Um, 
I knew with, I know with Vite you can set up new projects fairly easily, but it'd be interesting to see how difficult it would be to migrate our current repository. Oh, Vite, like Vite, is that it? Yeah, Vite. Vite or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, Vite. I see. Yes. Now it's, it's pronounced Vite. Yes. A lot of people could say Vite. Yeah, Vite is better. I think yeah. <laughs> I think they should stick with that. All right. Anyway, but, so how's um, it going? Well, your friend Evan Yu made made this. Oh wow, Evan Yu, the uh, the view man. The view man, yeah. You know, I haven't written any view since um, before we did a boot camp together. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, just just after the boot camp, not even remember, looked at it. As an aside, I remember uh, when we went to our internship together. And uh, at that stage, you were still very much a, a view person. Yeah. And you refused to write React code. So when you had to commit some React code, I believe you committed it on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's so spiteful. That's definitely me, actually. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. committed it from you your computer. You couldn't allow anyone... To know that I was writing React. Look at me now. I have so many principles when it comes to these tools. Like I'm like, I'm never going to do this. And then it's like, oh, well, I guess they'll pay me to do it. All right, fine. <laughs> I'll do it. I think after you, after you like done that initial commit, you're like, oh, fuck it. I have to just write React now. Do you want to know a really dirty secret though? Yeah. I, I write a lot of React. I don't like React. Yeah. I think it's pretty bad to be honest. I've never seen like a really good React code base. I've seen a lot of really good Vue code bases and a lot of really good Angular code bases, but React just tends to become a big ball of mud. And uh, everyone says, oh, you just need like, you know, experienced developers who've worked with React for a long time. But it's like, if, if it takes that, if, if you're using this big framework to like build your application and it's, you know, always ending up with like just a slog of components that do like almost the same thing. Are you really, yeah. why not just use a uh, server-side rendering or something by itself? Mm. Anyway. Yeah. I've been, I've been uh, trying to go a bit deeper on that myself because I know a lot of the, uh, well, you know, I've been telling you this, I've been reading like a few DDD domain driven design articles. Yeah. A few people who um, are proponents of DDD, seem to like Angular a little bit better. Oh, for sure. Because, yeah. because of its structure, right? Yeah. And because when you're working in large teams, you don't have to have those discussions around how things are done. Like there's a, a way to do things. And I haven't gone too deep into Angular, but from what I've read, it's like there's a certain way to do things. And yes, there is like, you can still shoot yourself in the foot, but generally there's, ways that things happen whereas you're going to have some separation of concerns whereas in react like your one like react functional component like what the the app dot tsx file right (laughs) is going to have like that's going to handle the auth and the like front page and rendering the routes and you know doing almost everything yeah just chuck everything in there right yeah whereas with an angular it's much harder to to make that a god class Mm. And you get all those uh, DI dependency injection and IOC flavors as well, right? Yeah. Whereas React is sort of hacked in DI with uh, uh, the context API, like this like really somewhat strange API, I would say, that has a little bit of magic. It's not full magic, but it's like half magic. Yeah. It's very strange. <laughs> but, um, well... The only reason I went down that path, well, actually, before we go there, 
What do you think about the new build tools? Which ones? Kind of went off topic. Vite. Went on a bit of a tangent. How hard? How hard would it be to to add some of these new build tools into our project to to speed up the? Well, it looks like I'm a GoLang developer now, so I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Based on my previous interviews, yeah. it looks like I'm going to be a good to developer. So. Like, Actually, I don't know. I write code. You know what? I'm not interested in uh, the really 5 million it. different tools that uh, are available for JavaScript anymore. Everything, every time you say to me, I don't really know, then like a week later, you'll be quoting me the documentation of the thing you didn't really know. Well, because <laughs> you've told me something I don't know, and then I'm upset because I couldn't answer the question. <laughs> That's pretty much the only like secret to any success I've had is just like be upset with yourself when you don't know something. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I want to go deeper on the build tool things, but then what does that mean though? What do you mean build tools? Are you talking about like, uh, like mono repo, like, uh, both package managers and like build tools, like, um, uh, what's Google's one? Uh, I can't remember. Well, the one Basil. I know like that sort of thing. What? Which one? Bazel. Baz- Bazel. I haven't heard of that. It's a fast, scalable, multi-language. I lost the tagline. And extensible build. Dot dot dot. It says so. Yeah, yeah it's what Google one. uses to manage their monorepo. Their, you know how oh, they have right, like a okay. god tier monorepo. Oh yeah, I have. So they manage like C sharp and like uh, TypeScript and C plus plus and all that stuff, all in one code base. Well, the ones Using I was Bazel. referring to. Oh. I think they're more prevalent uh, with the front-end tooling just to allow you to build your uh, your environment quicker, so uh, your local dev environment, because like, they're built on Rust and Go, I believe. So you've got ES Build. I think we did speak about this like a long time ago. There's one called ES Build and there's one called Vite. Yeah. And... Um, I believe it's just tooling to, like, it just runs everything faster, right? It'll run your tests faster. It'll do your local development faster. Because when it does all your bundling, it does the bundling and the transpiling, I believe. Yeah. Compiling, maybe. So it's like a replacement for Webpack, maybe. I see. So we're not talking about replacing, uh, we're only talking about replacing Webpack then. So is this something that, like, uh, create react app would need to implement yeah i see i see i see so i i didn't go too deep into it i know vite has a certain amount of crossover with webpack but then it does other stuff as well specifically for development um i mean it sounds like we're making a lot of progress um in the ecosystem definitely <laughs> like progress maybe to the left and right I don't know if we're making much forward progress. <laughs> Another build tool. I mean, I just wanted to, my only thing was it would be cool if it loaded faster. Like yeah. the, hot, the hot module reloads are really snappy. Yeah. And like, you know how, because um, we use Chakra, you know, Chakra takes about 30 seconds to load up. Oh yeah, for sure. And then it'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if Shaq would just... But, like, to be honest, I run that command once a day. So it's not like a big game. And then it's just yeah. so funny how you want to, like, do all this work to save two seconds of time. Yeah, I was reading a chart. I, I think it's from, like, XKCD or something. And it's a, it's a chart of, like, how long you're allowed to spend on something. It's like, oh. how often do you do something versus how long it will take you to um, 
fix it. And it's like you do it uh, once a day and it takes you 10 seconds. You can spend 10 seconds to fix it. (laughs) Whereas if you do it 50 times a day uh, and it takes you, you know, 30 minutes to fix it, that's fine. Yeah, so then I, I gave up on that. I'm like, all right, I'll come back to this later because then I I kept going on the DDD stuff, which yeah. brings me on to my next point: writing all the backend code. That's it, been fun. You're now a backend developer. Backend, yep. Wow. Yep. I'm out of the front end. That's quite a character arc. You went from uh, front end to sales to backend developer. <laughs> oh, you missed the marketing as well. Sales there. and marketing. then marketing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I realized. Um, well, this, like I was saying before, reading a lot of the, getting familiar with a lot of the DDD concepts, um, and I know you implement a lot of those. I don't know if it's your own flavor. I don't know if you've got your own flavor of this, or if you're like definitely composing flavor. composing ideas for multiple people. I think those no, are both very, the same thing. Yeah, but I think it, it's practical. There's a practical approach. Like I can see where, when needed, you will go to the length to abstract things in a certain way. But when things can be done a bit quicker and a little bit dirtier, but it's okay because it's encapsulated in one spot and you can still see what's going on. You've done that too. But you, um, yeah, I can explain that to you as well. That's actually in oh, yeah, the DDD book. Yeah. So yeah. Um, there's uh, uh, it. I literally haven't. I uh, might not be exactly right, but there's like a core domain to the business. And then there are supporting domains, right? And some of the supporting domains might be something like uh, notifications or audits or, or like audit logs or that sort of thing or like an email service, right? Uh, so those are supporting domains. And then the core domain are the things that make your business special. Uh, so those are the things that you need to put extra time and extra thought into and need to be extra extensible, right? Um, so for the... Like the DDD, uh, a lot of it is built to allow you to break your team into different like uh, different teams. So like you have a team of 30 people and you can have each like group of five work on, on a specific domain, right? Like email or notification. Like I feel like that's one of the objectives in a way of, uh, of DDD. Um, and uh, for me, like when I was making those packages, like for example, the notification one, it's like that's a supporting domain, so it doesn't need all of this stuff. So if I'm going to make in, like an HTTP handler, like it's fine if the inf- the data is just in the controller because it's almost never going to change. It's not mm. needing to be flexible, and uh, I can come back and fix it when I want. So there's a little bit of like Yagni, you know, you ain't going to yeah. need it. Like I'm not going to need yeah. to extend that system very much. Whereas yeah. like the workflow system is a core domain, needs substantially more complexity. And in that case, like I have uh, different, uh, like the controllers have almost no information in them, the or handlers, I guess I called them, uh, mm. the interactors or services is what some people call them, like the domain services, those have a lot more logic. And then the models themselves have substantially more logic. Mm. Whereas in like the notification one, the model itself is literally just four fields and then put it in the database. You don't need much mm. complexity. I don't need the notification to manage its own state or anything or have like a whole bunch of methods on it, right? So, yep. so that's sort of my thought process for why um, there's some uh, a view of practicality. And that does, it is in one code base, so it looks, it looks different. But yeah, that's sort of my thought process is the supporting domain doesn't need as much, uh, the, the supporting ones don't need as much layout as the core domain. Mm. And one other thing, I think I enjoyed a lot about the, the back end was, and you said it just then, it's the core 
domain of the business. Like that's why we built the app, right? Yeah. You're in the, you're amongst like the problem. It's very problem. clear that like there's a little part of the app that is everything that is <laughs> like in a way, like if you were talking to someone who doesn't know anything about technology, like the algorithm that makes the business is in there. It's the algorithm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the algorithm yeah. that we sell. So. Yeah, that is, that's, that's exactly yeah. what it is. Cause all the other, pretty much everything around you can um you can isolate those those four models there's like four or five models which is like the core business logic and then everything else we've done is just to support those four yeah (laughs) extend them a little bit tell you more about them that's about it yeah so yeah so those other sides can be very simple including the front end as like I'm including the front end with that too. Like the front end is just to facilitate an easy way for people to interact with these algorithms. Yeah. You could replace the front end quite easily. (laughs) It wouldn't matter. But if you were to try and replace the entire back end, like, you know, you'd run into a lot of issues because like, if you wanted to change the data model, obviously the data model is essentially like what the application is at the end of the day. So, yeah. But um, one other thing that was good about the back end too, there's definitely less libraries to deal with. I did enjoy that because um, I could, and TypeScript as well helped a lot. So because everything is so well typed, if I wasn't quite sure on how things work, I could do the hover or if I wanted to go deeper, um, dig into. Just command click um, it and then you're there. Yeah. yeah. Which you yeah. don't, you've, I forget even sometimes, like I opened a, a, I did like a tech challenge that was in vanilla JavaScript. I opened like a, um, I opened a, like a JS file and I tried to like go to definition on one of the methods and it just went, nope. <laughs> and <laughs> I just sorry. don't know what to do now. Like that's the end of do my <laughs> capability. <laughs> it's definitely a crutch, but uh, at the same time. It's not a crutch. It's, it's like a massive a fucking pickaxe. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's actually not a crutch. It's actually uh, forcing you to do things in a way which helps you later on down the track right well it's interesting that these like obviously go to definition you take it for granted now that you're in typescript but like it's also been a part of every other language except for like ruby and javascript like it just doesn't work in those languages very well so okay so here's the thing right tell me when when we started or when i started doing javascript 2018 typescript was very new then yeah a lot of companies were still not quite sure on if TypeScript was the right move, but I think now it's quite clear that people have adopted it. They can see all the benefits. Yeah. And I think me and you have spoke about this before where JavaScript is uh, maturing and it's getting to that level now where there's there's these large scale systems and you can't just, uh, where something might have begun initially as a small web-based project that's now evolved into these large enterprise platforms a language like javascript just doesn't fit the need but then all the practices as well like uh, all the ddd stuff and i'm only new to it but learning all these like design patterns and and architectural patterns that have been written about like probably in the 70s and 80s yeah but they're like slowly filtering into the community um i feel like people are trying to carve carve away through through web but that ground might have already been uncovered by people's past mistakes if that makes sense yeah well i mean how long has node been out it came out in like uh, 2009 right so mm. we're talking about about 10 years so 
I would expect that some of the like earlier adopters would have gotten onto it at like 2011, you know, 2012. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at some systems that are probably getting to eight years old that are like getting to the end of the ability for anyone anywhere to work on them. So like that's Mm -hmm. when you start to realize maybe we shouldn't have, you know, just trusted this entirely dynamic language for all of our business logic and uh, TypeScript comes to save the day. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense that people are now seeing that that's important now that, and some developers like you, a lot of developers I think got into the industry because of Node.js, like without Node to make it easy for people to start somewhere. Um, Like you didn't have to learn a build tool or anything. You ran Node against a JavaScript file. Without that, I think a lot of people wouldn't have been in the industry especially people like us coming from like a boot camp. So yeah. I suppose those people um, are maturing now as well. Like the people that have been in the, in the industry for about like, you know, seven or so years now that started with JavaScript. They're starting to realize, oh, maybe the people who came before us had some good ideas, I think. <laughs> like, it's like uh, when you said before, like you get angry at yourself because you didn't know something. I get angry at myself because I write shit code and I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I need to find a better way. There yeah. has to be, <laughs> and then that's where you come across these these like ideas, right? You, and yeah. you realize, oh, like it's been done before. We just need to maybe work on our craft a little bit. Yeah, and not just not just whack another library in there. <laughs> What's uh, yeah, like the people that you should listen to aren't. Um... Uh, who's the guy who made uh, Dan Abramov, right? Like Dan Abramov yeah. or anything like that. You should listen to like Uncle Bob or something. Someone who's been doing it <laughs> since like punch cards were around. I feel like that's where the actual <laughs> yeah. juice is. Yeah. Like they've broke yeah. like, the amount of systems they would have broken and mistakes they would have made. Like those. That's that's where it's actually interesting. Not like oh, we've got this cool new system that's uh, totally unique, but it's actually just a rip off of something else that happened fifteen years ago. So yeah, yeah. As an aside, I have been watching some of. Dan Abramov's podcasts. He just like he has a podcast. Ah, uh, sorry, he, he streams on like YouTube now. What? Oh, he puts videos up. Yeah. No way. What does he and do? He what like does he a, talk about? He just he just um he makes like basic games with JavaScript. Yeah. That's it. I see. Okay. Just for just for fun. And it's, I can't even it's imagine actually, him talking. He's so I can't imagine him talking into a stream. He's not the no, kind of person good. I expect. He's got his own style, but he's he's good. Yeah, I'll I'll have to I watch think, one then. Yeah, watch one. I think it's like, um, he's intentionally not doing React. I think that's the point. <laughs> oh, he's not. What do you, I thought he was doing React? What's he doing? Like just vanilla JavaScript. Vanilla JavaScript. Yeah. Right, oh, right, okay. Vanilla JavaScript. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, it's not like he's not doing any more React stuff, right? He's definitely still doing React. Oh no, he's definitely very involved with the React stuff. Mm. But I've got to dig more into... Um, I think the other thing too is learning learning all the rules so you know when you can bend the rules. Like I want to learn more about Angular so I can say, oh, okay, that's why they done it. And then I can say, all right, well, here's the React way, here's the Angular way and, and see what the differences are. Yeah, you got to know the rules so you can break both. them. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know the rules, you're just breaking them without knowing why you're breaking them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the issue. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But no, backend's been good. Backend's been fun. And the testing. Yeah. Let me tell you, those tests on the backend, isn't you're, that a, You got like some fun? good certainty when it comes to testing in the backend. Like yeah. I know, like when you push something, you're like, no, this works. I, I don't need to <laughs> like do all this additional QA stuff. I 
I would love to work somewhere where they've figured out this whole front end testing stuff, but I'm still to this day, like no one's got any idea. Like, <laughs> you know, how many front end code bases have I seen and how many actual tests have been written that provide any level of certainty? Yeah. Uh, not many. So, yeah. It's just the end to end tests, I think, isn't it? Mm. Like, if you can do a, a flow of an end to end test. But, you know, one nice thing about um, the way you've set the tests up on our back end, and I suppose it's because you've got the API client there. Um, it's a fairly good end-to-end test to make sure that what data is actually being sent to the front end is correct, right? Yeah. Well, you have, um, because we have a full stack TypeScript app, uh, we can actually say with some certainty that like, uh, if you call this method, this is the actual outcome. Like there's some level of like determinism, no matter what you do, like if you call this with these certain inputs, we've already tested for that and it's going to happen. It's not like you're like, you're not even able to like just add and remove a whole bunch of attributes from these because they're like typed and they use a type validator. So actually I wanted to ask you a question specifically about that. I came across it. Um, In some of the old JavaScript code bases I worked on, I would write a test to say, um, to assert that a JavaScript object looked a certain way, had a certain keys and values. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't do that. Now, that. now that we're doing TypeScript, the, the type definitions catch those bugs before they even happen. Yeah. But then um, it's not a true runtime check. So then I was going to ask you, like, is, is there still any value to the writing tests like that where I, I was almost going to write one and, I, and then I thought it's I was a, I was actually I was looking at your pull request and I was about to say something about that but I was like oh it's yeah. fine it doesn't matter uh, oh. it is more thorough I don't think yeah. it is super high value like it, it's one of those things where what what what's gonna you know help me the most is it going to help me knowing that the string field that is almost directly going into the database is the same that I put in yeah. uh no, but if you, like what I'm really looking for is I'm going to do like a snapshot of what the data is at the end of the transformation. So I'm going to put something in and then uh, pull it out and snapshot it uh, using data that's like, uh, you know, uh, deterministic, I suppose. So no like fluctuating dates or anything. And then I know for a fact, you know, because of that snapshot um, that if it comes out in that same shape and there's not a difference that, uh, you know, everything's still working as intended. And when you want to actually verify, are the fields coming out what I put in, you can just change to the snapshot file, read the fields and see if you're actually getting the right data back. So it's the same thing. It is in a different file. um, If you're not using Jest, Jest has one where it'll actually write the output of the snapshot inline, which is good because we use Mocha for a lot of reasons. Um, You know, that's not an option, but I, I think, uh, just because you didn't write what the output of that is doesn't make like that doesn't increase or decrease the value. Right. So you going, does the, the, does the reminder have a date and a uh, name and a description and matching it to a string value? I don't think that's of much more value than saying, is it the same? And then having a little like uh, JSON snapshot file next to it in my mind because you can just read like this is the the test case and then these are the attributes that i expect out essentially in that snapshot file this is not a common practice this is something that i think i've come up with somewhat on my own obviously everything is old hat to everyone but like uh 
the idea of doing more like data transformation sort of stuff as snapshot tests. Like the snapshot comes from like uh, Jest, right? And people use that for snapshotting React components. I think that's a horrible test. (laughs) I don't think there's almost any value in a snapshot test on a React component. I think there's a lot of value in saying, I'm going to execute these 10 functions and I expect the data to be the same every time I run the test. So, yeah. And then also when you like add a field, you know, for certain like... Not only have you proven that no fields have been removed or altered, you also know have any fields been added? Did I actually put accidentally put someone's user like password on the user object that's going back to the front end? That sort of stuff. Yeah. So. Well, the other thing too, it's not. It's well, as part of the end-to-end tests, and it's because we've got that full-stack TypeScript app when you do your serialization and deserialization, you validate all the models at runtime. Yeah. So, I mean... It gives you it's, it's, so much more security, right? Like yeah. both both literal security and like um, uh, emotional and mental security. Because you know for <laughs> yeah. a fact, like, okay, if I got a user, I have... Yeah. This is a, like another tenant of like DDD is like you never create like a, a value object or like a, a domain model that is invalid. It's never allowed to exist in an invalid state, right? Mm-hmm. So if you follow that principle to the letter, your tests get easier because you no longer have to like validate the object both times. You can say mm-hmm. like, this is not a valid object. Uh, this is not a valid user. Uh, give it some data. Okay, it fails expectedly. And then, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not you want to test, do all of the validations, do what they like, are you going to test that external library to say, like, if I've said is a string, do I need to check that that's a string? Probably not. So, yeah. So it means that even writing a simple test, like, even if we didn't have the snapshot at the end of a method, we know that it works and returns the returns valid data at a minimum because when you make the request, it's uh, serializing into a typed object with validations. So it can't be wrong in a lot of ways. Uh, testing's good. Testing's fun. Thank you. Coding, coding <laughs> is fun too. <laughs> yeah. No, I enjoyed working in the. I, I really enjoyed working in the back end. It was really good. Yeah. More of it to come. I think I can uh, bang some features out pretty quickly now. You figured it out, I think, based on what I've seen of your attempt. So. Yeah, it was a bit slow. Yeah, oh, you had to like read oh, some files and figure out yeah. the core concepts, but like. Yeah. I mean, think about how long it takes most people to start at any company. Like if you're going to yeah. open a new code base, it's like a month. So yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah, I've been here for a year now. So <laughs> yeah. So a year later you can write <laughs> one feature in the back end. <laughs> well, okay. So that the, that feature I created was very isolated. It didn't really touch anything else. It stands by itself. So the next test will be, can I modify something? Modify or oh, shit. extend an existing feature. That's the next challenge, right? Yeah. Well, uh, luckily you'll be able to call me and ask me to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 There's definitely parts to... that are like uh, less verified, especially in some of the supporting domains. I think. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, that's okay. Well, I think maybe um, well, the ideas that I've got for features at the moment are kind of just fanning off what we're doing already. So I don't think the changes will be that big. Yeah. You'll just be adding in some hooks and some events and stuff. 
So you'll have to get used to, I, I added this concept of um, an event stream. Um, that's probably the only thing that'll be a new concept for you off of what you've already done. The event well, we stream talk about is... about that on the next podcast. For the next podcast, that's right. <laughs> and then that, that's the end of the show. We didn't get through everything. We, we've got so much more to talk oh, okay. about. Oh, okay. Thanks for the next one. All right. No, no, it's okay. Okay, we go. Goodbye. <laughs> Well, this uh, was an ad hoc podcast. I feel like we just talked about our own product the whole time. <laughs> so, But hopefully everyone got a little bit of value out of it, right? Yeah, everyone's definitely on the Discord. Uh, we totally read that and, and engage with people on the Discord. So jump on there and send us a message. I mean, we don't really message. engage with it, but that's because no one says anything interesting anymore. But if you do, <laughs> I will engage. Ask a question. Yes. Hey, you want you want your back end fully rebuilt? Just yeah. ask James how he would do it. Just send me a, a photo of your back end and I'll fix it. <laughs> I don't think I should have said that. <laughs> no, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's poor taste. That's, Stop the music. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Very good. Thank you, everyone. Talk good to you later. To Big energy. Bye-bye.